podcast i'm your host charlotte henry this week i'm thrilled to have as my guest rachel cunliffe senior associate editor at the new statesman magazine welcome to the show rachel hello charlotte hi hi hi. now for listeners not in the uk who are perhaps unfamiliar with the new statement is the uk's leading center-left magazine uh the most up-to-date numbers i could find are from february when it reported average magazine circulation of 41,000 and then 37,000 of those are paid subscribers. That was a 40-year high following a redesign of the website. The New Statesman reported 2.6 million monthly unique visitors online and 300,000 of those were registered users. And registering currently gives you access to three free articles a month. Um, One thing I want to talk to Rachel about, and this is, I should say, I want Rachel here for her insight, not just because she's my friend. She is my friend. But Thank you. You're we're, my we're friend going too. To be, oh, I'm glad that's confirmed. Now you see, she's recording. You can't get out of it now. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot to discuss in your role at the news, uh, at the magazine. There are a host of popular podcasts on offer you up here. Sometimes they even let you on those as well. Um, so it seems to me to be a good case study in how to run a, ma- a long running magazine can modernize itself. I think I saw there's been 100 years of the New Statesman, Rachel. That they have. I haven't been there for all of them, though. No, you. Yeah, no, you haven't. You've been there for a few of them. I've been there for a few of them. I was trying to work <laughs> out the proportion. Then neither of us can do maths. Yeah, I thought leave the maths. Um, but it, it's quite interesting as well because, say, been there for a hundred years, doing all this modernisation. But from what I can tell from an outsider, there's been no loss of interest in the core print magazine product. Um, so I just thought I'd start with a rather broad push question and wonder if you could kind of give us a bit more insight into that kind of work of balancing digital and the print magazine. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting is that people still like reading magazines and that's a really important place to start because when the internet started being a thing, uh, there were a lot of people who went, no one will want to read print magazines or newspapers anymore. They'll want to do it all online. And uh, actually the the physical act of having a nice magazine um, with beautiful pictures and good good paper quality and all those little things and being able to turn the pages over breakfast that as an experience is something which is very different from the way that people consume media on their computers or on their smartphones and it's very much not a case that one is better or or worse than the other um they're, they're just different but i do i do like the romanticism of print and the fact that it it has been going for over 100 years and other magazines have been have been going for that amount of time and that experience still seems to be something that people value so that's really nice um i obviously worked uh in magazines in uh, a daily newspaper online which is and all of these things have very different paces uh and the the rhythm of what you do and what you cover and what your audience expects of you is kind of different um, across all of them. Obviously, for the New Statesman to be doing a mixture of those things, which it does with its weekly magazine, which is in print, and then its its website where we try and cover all of the things that uh, don't fit in the magazine or that happen at inopportune times, that's quite different. And they're, they're different rhythms, they're different structures. Uh, and being able to understand why people go to one of those two places for the media they want to consume is quite important in in choosing what you cover and how you cover it 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much unpacked there. It's really interesting. But yes, of, of course, uh, the different pace is so interesting. I, you know, even me, I noticed this from going from writing daily to writing, you know, a couple of times a week, the newsletter. It does completely change how you think about things, so for better and for worse, frankly. There's sometimes you see things where you're like, oh my God, I want to get my thoughts out on this now. Give me 20 minutes, I'm going to bash something out. And actually, sometimes you're like, oh, I have a few days to consume this and it's fine. And all of that, you know, and that's just online. You know, you're talking about a magazine with a huge staff and, you know, a significant staff and, you know, different print deadlines and different online deadlines and different audio and podcast deadlines and all that kind of thing. But I do think it's really, I mean, as you, you know, you're not the only magazine to do this, but it's done. And I think there are a few magazines in the UK that are doing this really well. But the way you kind of you staff across the new statesman are used for, you know, you'll write an article and then pop up on a podcast and maybe have a column in the print magazine. That kind of thing. I think I think it's really nice for readers. It kind of gives you a different relationship with readers, doesn't it? Yeah, we made um it was actually a conscious decision about uh just over a year ago that we wanted to be quote unquote platform neutral which means that people aren't hired to write for the website or write for the magazine or do podcasts they're hired because they have good ideas and good communication skills and where their work ends up will depend on the topic and it might they might write something really good online it'll be pulled into the magazine there might be stuff for the magazine that then you can turn into a podcast or you can help do some more work on elsewhere um, now, obviously, in practice, there are differences, mainly because of deadlines. And if you want, we can talk about the uh, the difficulty. Please of don't say deadlines out. to me. It gives me a panic attack. Thank you. Uh, but there is, you know, certainly, especially the, the upheaval of the last couple of months in politics, the pressure of having to decide on a Tuesday afternoon because your print deadline is, <laughs> is, is 10 p.m. on a Tuesday. You might have had two different prime ministers by then. I mean, there, 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 were, there was the week when, when it was Liz Truss and we were like, please can she just not resign on the Wednesday that's all we want because it goes to print on a Tuesday night and it um it lands on people's doors or it's in the shops on Thursday so if something happens later on Thursday afternoon okay you know it's old news fine that happens but if something happens on Wednesday and the new magazine comes out we've got a new prime minister that's Quite really annoying. stressful uh, so just to put in context how chaotic just for American listeners particularly how yeah. chaotic that period of time was in British media it was and politics. so mad Rachel and I's birthdays are about what six seven weeks apart yeah something like that we both got a new prime minister on our birthday. I know it was it was mad. Let's uh, just have that as the context and please continue. <laughs> no, I was doing a I was doing another American podcast a couple of weeks ago and I was just trying to explain Liz Truss as a concept for American listeners who might have missed her because she was only there. they blinked. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's another that's another discussion. Um so obviously you've got those kind of considerations and uh, you can't necessarily run the same thing a a across in, in different ways because it just doesn't work that way. But having people who can write for both, uh, who have ideas that might work across both and, and getting rid of this idea that, you know, any old rubbish can go up online, whereas yeah. the, the magazine is very tightly gatekeepered. Uh, actually, the, the website is just as important as the magazine. It's just different. Yeah, I, I re I'm really pleased you said that because I wanted to dig into that, actually, because I think there is still a perception. Um, I don't know if this is just, you know, a generation 
older than us kind of when you say I've written something online and or you can get to show them a print product and they sort of seem more impressed by the print product somehow because that for whatever reason feels limited and as you say gatekeepered um but there does seem to be that psychology still existing you know across all sorts of generations and platforms and outlets that the kind of print thing is print is the ultimate and that just feels less and less relevant to me now in 2022. I think so. Now, I, I still get out a buzz out of seeing my name in print. I was of course, in, obviously uh, we're journalists. We're completely <laughs> vain, obviously. I was, I was in Selfridges over the weekend. Uh, for, oh, here we go. For, for, for the Black Friday deals. Um, some very good deals you could get, actually. And I went down into the, the their magazine section and the new issue was there and I happened to have an interview in it. And I sort of took it down and found my name. I was like, look, they're actually selling it in shops. Um, and that, that doesn't get any less exciting. But the thing is... When I won't online. tell the story of the time I bought multiple copies of a newspaper because I had a piece in it. That never of happened. Course, and my mum still like saves everything that I've done in print, and she's got a box of it. And you know, like I, it makes her very happy. We all do these things, but online you can reach more people. So a really basic one, especially because I know you've got international listeners, uh, because of logistics and print production lines and timing it's not really feasible to sell the new statesman in a lot of other countries the, pr- the print product um I, I think we do it a little bit in in airports but it's it's hard and uh expensive. because it takes so long it's expensive it takes so long to get them there that the articles you know go, go more out of date but with online you can reach people anywhere in the world and one of the decisions that uh, we, we made was to invest in our international team in in writers who really know about China and Russia uh, we did this last summer and it proved really really pressing oh, it's all your fault okay um, <laughs> yeah sorry about that but um, we also got a strong a really strong presence in in Europe with Europeans who want to understand what's going on in British politics and let's face it we all want to understand what's going on in British politics and obviously the the US as well and you can reach people online that way in a way that you you can't with print so I don't uh, I want to stress that they're very different and Mm -hmm. there are benefits to both and the one difference I guess is that you can't you can't rush print you can't do it carelessly and it is possible to do online carelessly uh, and and just stick anything up but just because it's possible doesn't mean that you should and doesn't mean that we do and we actually try and put just as much thought into what's running online and why we're covering those stories on our website in that way as we would when we were dividing up physical page real estate in the print magazine yeah and i mean the easiest way to lose uh, page views and registrations and subscribers online is to put up any old rubbish. Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it turns out people people notice that, that. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of it's a complete false economy to do those things. I also like some of the other. You know, again, you're not the first publication to do this, but I do rather like. I think I saw one very interesting article up was up on the New Statesman. Forgive me, I don't remember which one it was, but like there was an audio version of it. And you mm, could yes. hear you could hear like the author reading their own article back. And there's lots of I mean, as I say, you you guys are not the only people to play with these formats, but they are rather interesting. You know, maybe I'm jumping on the on the underground and don't have don't want to sit there reading the article, but want to put it in my headphones and take in the same information, you know, a bit like people listen to audiobooks. Now I have very strong opinions on audiobooks. Um but <laughs> you have very strong opinions on a lot of things. This is true. Um, 
but I I do like that idea that actually I, d- I can't sit scrolling on my phone, but I still want that information. And, and actually, again, it's quite a nice relationship you can build up with the author, whether it's a freelancer or a staff member, if they're, you know, they're talking to you and reading the article to you. I absolutely love this feature, which I should say was not my idea in any way. I can take no credit for it, except that... <laughs> I was going to let you get away with it, but um, fine. <laughs> except that I, I, I have... I have read one of them before and I'll I'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Oh, yeah. That's Ooh, quite, that's quite interesting. Um, this is our, our audio long read, they're called, mm. and they are the long um, long features, usually that ran in the magazine, uh, read by either the author or actually uh, often, um, if the author's not around, just another, another staff member um, reading it. Now, there are a couple of things to say about why I think this is a really, really great thing. One of them as you say, is that not everyone can sit down and take the time to read something. And and also reading, especially something long on your phone, isn't the most enjoyable experience. Um, and whereas I listen to podcasts when I'm doing the washing up, when I'm driving, when I'm walking, um, just to sort of keep my mind engaged. And a lot of people consume media in, in that way and, and really like it. And so we had this idea of like, let's increase the exposure of these uh great pieces as you said they're not we're not the only people who who do this but it is a relatively new thing let's sort of increase the exposure by enabling people to consume it in a different way and it's proved really popular the other thing that i think it does and this is a very weird thing for me to say is listening to somebody's voice particularly regularly feels kind of intimate especially if you're listening to them completely agree yeah i'm saying this knowing that your readers your listeners will be very familiar with with your voice so hello charlotte's listening yeah sorry sorry Um, guys you're listening to somebody in your own home um often it's you get used to the sound of their voice you start to feel like you you know them and i've certainly found that since i joined the the podcast team sort of general politics podcast and we get together about once a week and we talk about what's going on in westminster and I really like doing those. But what I also found is that I would meet people and they'd say, oh, yeah, New Statesman. Yeah, I, I, I read a few articles sometimes. I love the podcast, though. And I'd sort of say I'm on the podcast. And they go, oh, yes, I recognize your, your voice. And there was sort of an excitement <laughs> there, um, which I don't think is justified at all. Uh, but thank you very much. Uh, and I think the long reads are sort of tapping into that, that when somebody reads an article to you and you know their voice anyway, there's a bit of a relationship there. There's a bit of engagement. And again, people seem to to really like that. And then the final thing I'll say on it is, as I said, I, I did one of these and it wasn't my article. Um, and in reading the article, I learned, I think, I had to read it aloud. I, I learned way more than if I just kind of skim read it. And it was a really interesting experience to do that as well. And I also feel like I know my colleague who wrote it better because nothing teaches you something about someone's writing style, like actually reading yeah, every having word. Having to read it out aloud, aloud yeah. yeah. Um, exactly was, as written. It was it was really good fun. And I'm really pleased I got the opportunity to do that. And, and I'd love to. Do you, do you think actually... I'm just saying, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, if I were to be asked to write such a piece, would it change how I wrote the piece? So, you know, do you, as you're writing it, do you imagine kind of reading it out loud as well? If you see what I mean, it's just a, it's just a thought experiment. I'm wondering if it would, but that again, 
not not a bad thing that you know people think about different versions of their work being presented I one of the pieces of advice that I give to baby journalists um, all the time, which I don't think they listen to, because why would you if you're just wait? Are we old now? (laughs) No, no, no. We are. We we have valuable experience. Um, But one of the things I I say if I'm editing, and I kind of want to get across that the ideas are good, um, but the writing is clunky or overwritten or just, just all the things that you. Like all the things that yeah. take practice, we've all done it. We've all, we've done, all, it. We've all done it. But the thing, like, which is advice that was given to to me too long ago, was read it aloud. Literally, mm. read your words aloud, and every cliche and every slightly not not quite right word and turn of phrase is so much more obvious when you are physically speaking it. So I don't think it should. N- change or make people feel self-conscious sort of writing something and going oh this might be this might be read aloud I think it's the opposite I think it's a really helpful thing to do regardless of whether you are going to turn it into a podcast or not just because if you can write fluently in a way that sounds natural when you're speaking it's going to be much more enjoyable for somebody to read yeah I should say as well we're sort of pontificating on the media and journalism theory of this there is a very very valuable accessibility benefit to doing this as well you know someone who has you know visually impaired in whatever form like that might be quite a struggle to get through a long read piece but actually very nice to hear it have it read out loud and you know there are various um you know kind of page reader apps and so on but actually to have a long form article read by the author or you know an equivalent member of staff actually is i can imagine being is a rather nice thing and you know definitely has value in the kind of accessibility side of things as well I would think yeah I I think it does and I think that point about it being read by somebody who either wrote it or who knows the person who wrote it and therefore uh is is kind of reading it in in their style makes a difference as well because audio is a different format to reading words on a page and sometimes you can communicate stuff with your voice uh in a way I mean well I I (laughs) sometimes i write things and i want to put in brackets i am being sarcastic here for the for the oh, sub- yeah, particularly on twitter you definitely yeah, well, have to put twitter, the uh, on twitter you have to because people yeah, can't yeah. tell people cannot tell um i was thinking as well we're talking a bit about digital and print we're talking about audio what's the kind of video perspective at the new statesman i know some of your podcasts have there's a video form isn't there Mm. Yeah, so we've we've got a dedicated AV team, which is really exciting. Nowhere I've worked before has has had that, and um, those are producers, audio and video producers, who who work quite closely. And again, it's about finding the right medium to tell a story. So when it comes to video, sometimes it's as simple as filming a podcast. And I wouldn't have thought necessarily that people would want to watch a filmed podcast, um, but again, like sometimes they do, and sometimes I think seeing the people doing it adds another dimension that clearly some some of our audience find find, find useful um often it's about clipping stuff up for social and i yeah. know you don't want to talk about twitter too much because i can talk about twitter for hours and hours and hours i've done too um, much of it recently <laughs> you're banned um but one of the things that does work on social media sites of of all types <laughs> is little audio clips or little video clips and you can get a sound bite and yeah. people will consume that in a different way to go and going to listen to a 40 minute yeah this podcast. i mean i i feel a bit um ashamed as you talk about this because this is it's so obviously 
important to media outlets of all sides to do this and i have categorically failed so far on the edition perhaps that should be a thing that we but, but i think it's because it's it's hard it, it it takes it takes technical skills and we're really and lucky time. That, and time yeah and it's time that like if you're if you're working on your own or with a very small team that might not be the best use of the time that you've got we're really lucky that we do have dedicated people who can help us with that um i i would say that like video beyond just filming a podcast is really difficult to to get right and that's a completely different skill and a completely different type of journalism and just because somebody is good at writing or even good at speaking doesn't necessarily mean they'll have the right vision to be able to tell that story in a in a visual medium because that's the final thing that our video team do is they go out and do actual video reporting yeah um our our video producer went with one of our international team to i think poland the polish border with ukraine yeah um and they they, they went there and they did some incredible uh, like on the ground frontline reporting from there um today he is in chester for the the by-election and they're interviewing people over there and it's a different um, again, it's a different way of telling the story, but it's a very urgent, very emotive uh, way of, of of doing it in a way that just, again, reporting the story isn't. So it's that kind of hybrid model as well. You go and you get some footage and you get somebody who can put it together in a very catchy video and then the journalist writes up the report and then maybe yeah. they come on the podcast and they talk about the report. And it doesn't matter what people's preferences are for consuming media. They've got various options that will tell the story in different ways. Yeah, this seems to me just how absolutely a mo- like modern magazines should operate. I was on a previous show. I spoke with Peter Houston about the sake of the uh, the state of the magazine industry as well, and we had a wonderful conversation talking about beautiful indie publications, which you know have real value to people as well. But for a more mainstream, high profile publication where you do have the resources to do such things. It, it does seem like the most, I was going to say efficient, I don't know if efficient is quite the right word. It's the most comprehensive way to cover the things your audience in whatever form expects you to cover the things they expect you to cover. Yeah, you can't you can't do everything. And one no. of the one of the challenges really actually of a, of a sort of magazine with a website is there's an infinite amount of news and you can't do what the daily newspapers are doing or what the what the websites are doing you can't be the bbc uh, and nor should you try because they offer something very different so it's about what can you offer which stories are worth covering and then as i said finding the the right way to to do that but i think having lots of options available for is this a print piece is it a short kind of explainer style that tells people what's going on is it a comment piece is it opinion is it an interview because that's a different way of getting into it again uh is it an interview that would actually work better in a podcast because you'd have more time to really talk to the person is it something where really striking visuals or data was help make it more powerful like you can't do all of those for every story but having those options available means that when something does break that you want to cover or there is a a really important story that you that you want to tell you know that you're doing it in a way that is most likely to be effective and that's again we're in a very fortunate position that we have different people who can work across different teams um 
the the trick i guess is to resist the temptation to to do everything for everything because you just can't uh, and it, I, it is really tempting whatever kind of publication you're at isn't it it's just you know we're all as journalists don't i mean i shouldn't say this out loud but we're all a bit weird and obsessive aren't we i and, think everyone knows that already oh yeah probably <laughs> not this a is, secret again they've been on twitter um but yeah we can all be a bit weird and obsessive and you're like well i've got to tell this when then i'll do this and and whatever story you're working on at a time you think it's the most important story of all mm. time yeah and actually yeah having to sort of filter what the right medium to tell that story is is quite a valuable skill to pick up and i think probably makes is more valuable to a publisher uh you talked about being constrained for time and we are slightly running out of time but i kind of want to look to the future we said that the new statesman's been running for you know a hundred years or more what's what's the future of let's not talk about your publication that's a bit too personal but let's talk about kind of the magazines as a whole what what is the future do you think it's the kind of model you're advocating at the new statesman where you kind of have to be a bit multi-platform multi-dimensional is that the or do you think actually some people doubling down and going we d- we have limited resources all we're going to do is produce a beautiful print product that like both those models you can have a, put a good argument for both can't you uh, yeah uh, i think it really depends on the publication and on their history and their readership and what their readers want certainly there are magazines particularly ones that don't do kind of frontline politics and and breaking news where you want to take your time over something you don't want to look at it on a screen particularly things that are very image heavy turning pages um you you might not find the website as appealing and the editors there should understand that um what they might find appealing though is podcasts and audio so it's not a case of if you're going to do these multiple things do them in this order magazine and then website and then podcast and then videos you can you can kind of mix it up and i i i just think the key thing is understanding that magazines and daily newspapers and news websites and uh magazines that do uh sort of particular genres whether that is fashion or lifestyle like they are different and Sometimes the same people will be reading them, but they'll be reading them for different purposes, wanting to get a different set of opinions across or a different mood. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people who read a newspaper or who read a news website first thing in the morning where they want to know what's going on with the world. But when it's just before bed or they're kind of flicking through something to relax, they've got a very different set of media priorities. And you just have to think really hard about what it is that you're doing that your readership or your audience value and not get distracted by this other publication has done this really shiny yeah. thing. Maybe we can do it because it is like it's all opportunity cost, right? And if you're if you're doing something really well that really resonates with the people that matter, you don't necessarily have to switch into five different platforms and, and formats to, to to make it work on it in a different way I, it's always so tempting to chase the new shiny shiny thing isn't it but this is well i'm, I'm not on tiktok um and i <laughs> for, for that reason because i can't do the new shiny thing i can't do the yeah. videos uh, but i am going to mention twitter again just to say that uh it's going to be hard if that kind of collapses because i think uh, twitter was the place where you could promote 
articles of any form and magazines and podcasts and videos and it kind of was a space that worked for all of those and the idea that we might have to have different social networks for different forms of content kind of I find that a bit disappointing yeah it's sort of consolidated if you had a YouTube video you could send people to your YouTube video via Twitter and so yeah yeah. Uh, although uh, I I do think we probably overestimate how much traffic i mean i haven't seen the numbers for your particular publication twitter is terrible for traffic right exactly this is my point i like we do overestimate that like everyone's going to click on your link from twitter but anyway that's that we could do a whole different show on that but we will resist we will resist Uh, my final question then a hundred years time we still going to have a print new statesman yeah i think so I mean, it sort of depends if we still have a government or a country. Uh, but I, I, I think that as long as there is... Yeah, I thought you were going to say if so long as we still have paper. I think, no, I think we will have paper. It might not be paper from trees, but I think it might okay. be sort of high-tech, things that you can turn like a physical print product. Um, yes, I think we will, because the the enjoyment that people get out of that experience doesn't seem to have changed in the last century. And I don't think it will change in the next one either. That is a lovely, positive note on which to end this conversation. Rachel, where can people keep up with your work and you, should they wish to? Well, you can find me on Twitter for Mm -hmm. the moment anyway. I am at R.M. Cunliffe. I am uh, on writing for the New Statesman, which is www.newstatesman.com. It's very easy to find. I'm on the podcast pretty much every week. Uh, and but generally just hanging around the internet waiting for somebody to ask what my opinions on something are <laughs> as i am doing here yeah ex- perfect that's why it's such a pleasure to have you um i'm at charlotte a henry on the twitters of course if you're listening to this on the at the edition.substack.com well you know where to find me in the newsletter if you're listening to this in your usual podcast app uh please head over to the edition.substack.com you might enjoy the newsletter there um, there's also a blog that's slowly and surely expanding at theedition.net. Um, thank you all for your support as we've we head towards the end of 2022. And uh, I know, what don't say it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, yep, we're heading to the end of 2022, but I really appreciate all the support the edition has got as we've got off the ground. Um, and on that note, I'll say see you next week. Bye.